Welcome to the ACOFP Student Podcast, a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. Hello, welcome to ACOFP Student Podcast discussing OMM and family medicine. I'm Katie Hawks, and I'm the Vice President of the National Student Executive Board for this year. Today at ACOFP, we're going to be talking with Cassie Robertson, who is an OMS4 and LMU DCOM in Harrogate, Tennessee. For those of you who don't know Cassie, she just matched into family medicine at Indiana University at Memorial Hospital and Healthcare Center and completed an OMM teaching fellowship last year. Today, we're going to discuss why she chose family medicine and how she utilizes OMT to treat patients. Thank you for being here with us, Cassie. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So first of all, to get started, I want to ask you a little bit about why you chose family medicine just to get people, you know, figuring out how the process sort of works. So why did you choose family medicine as a specialty? Um, I think this is a good question. This is actually something they'll ask when you're um, out doing your interviews during fourth year. Um, So it's really good to have a good idea why you want to do what you want to do. So for me, I think when I went into third year, I was very open to um, just about every rotation I went into. And I found out that I loved everything. I woke up every day. I was excited to go to all my clinicals and, um, I guess for me, it was kind of then like, okay, I like everything. So what do I do now? Um, Because I thought I was going to just mark things off as I went through. Um, But I think for me, the biggest thing for family medicine was the type of relationships I wanted to form with my patients. Um, For me, I really want to be incorporated in their overall health and be um, preventive. So Um, I think with family medicine, you have that ability, but you also have the um, variability with your patient panel. So um, for me, I really like women's health. um, So I can do more women's health. I can do pediatrics if I'd like to. I can do more geriatrics. I just felt like I wasn't kind of pigeonholed into one spot. Um, And then I am really passionate about OMM. And so I knew that would be a field where I could utilize it um, more frequently than other fields, um, at least for what I prefer to do OMT wise. Awesome. Um, So you mentioned that you're really interested in OB-GYN. Are you planning to do a fellowship within that or did you do any additional rotations to get more experience with that? Um, so I am interested in OB. Um, I'm not sure at this point if I would do an OB fellowship. Um, I've kind of been told mixed information through my interview process on if to do an OB rotate, uh, OB fellowship. Mm-hmm. Um, I had kind of heard that to do an OB fellowship, it's really to kind of hit more of your numbers so you can get um, licensed at each hospital. And so I guess it would just kind of depend on where my numbers fall um, and my comfort level at the end of my rotate at my end of my residency mm-hmm. um, and seeing if I still really enjoy that part. I don't really know at this point because I'm just now starting off. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I was just kind of curious at this point. So thanks for sharing some of your inspiration behind getting in family medicine. I think that's great. You know, it's such a broad specialty and that's why so many people who have a lot of different interests pursue it. Um, my next question has to do with ACOFP. So I know you've been involved with it for a few years. What's your favorite aspect about being involved in ACOFP as a student? 
Um, I think for me, I get the biggest benefit when I go to the conferences. Um, I think it's a way to be around like-minded individuals and you can build like mentorship, which I think is really helpful, especially um, if you're like wanting to do something like if I want to do women's health. Um, It's always nice to have somebody who's done it before you to Mm -hmm. kind of guide you. Um, So I think that's something really nice about um, ACFP. I also think that they do a lot of um, procedural clinics where you can kind of practice placing IUDs. Um, You can also learn new procedures in OMT, which I think is um, kind of special in the sense that most family conferences you go to, they don't do that. Yeah, for sure. And I know um, on the ACFP website, they even have OMT videos that you can watch and subscribe to. And recently with the coronavirus pandemic, I've been getting emails about some free videos just for treating respiratory complaints. So that's very helpful. And like you said, not a lot of other um, clubs or organizations offer that. Um, So you've been talking about how you're really interested in OMM. Can you tell us about what piqued your interest in OMM? How did that interest develop? Yeah. um, So I think for me, originally, when I was applying for med school in general, I knew that I fell more into the osteopathic philosophy, um, but I didn't really shadow enough OMT to really see the influence it could have on a patient. Um, So um, during my second year of um, medical school, I went to a RAM clinic and this I don't know if any of you have ever done a rural medicine um, clinic where you just kind of go and perform OMT or part of it. I definitely suggest it at some point in time, um, just because you kind of see how people um, can come in and get different resources. But our school basically set up OMT tables and you were thrown into um, literally diagnosing and treating patients as they came in. (laughs) And the amount that you know at that point is really, you don't feel like you know anything. And so, but at the same time, um, I think that's where you learn the most is by being hands-on and having to think for yourself. Um, The thing that piqued my interest during that time was there was a woman who came in, um, she had severe kyphosis and she had multiple back surgeries to the point that she was laying on her couch instead of her bed because she couldn't lay flat. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had asked, I didn't know what to do. So I asked um, the Dr. Brown, who was our faculty member there to come help me. And she ended up doing manipulation on her. And by the end of the treatment, she was laying completely flat on her back. And I think it just for me, like the impact that that made in her quality of life um, was enough to make me be like, I really need to know this and serve my patients with it. That's awesome. I mean, we don't always get to see that immediate relief, but the fact that you got to see that so early on is definitely really exciting and special. Um, My next question for you is having to do with just improving your skills as a first and second year. So you kind of already talked about RAM, um, but anything else they can do outside of the classroom? Um, so for me, I pretty much practice on anyone who would let me. Um, my family got to the point where they would even joke and be like, um, I would say, well, I can fix that. But I, you know, you get so long and you're like, maybe I can't fix that. So, um, but I think that for me, it was just putting my hands on people and um, really um, just practicing the things that you know and get really comfortable with that because then you can add more to your toolbox. Um, and then the other thing is I went to like different things that our school would hold. Um, our school does a thing called meet and greet um, where you come and treat different um, people in the faculty and students. And I thought that was very helpful. Um, and then just any type of extra classes. I was like, well, might as well go when yeah. time to say no, right? 
For sure. So basically just getting outside experience when you can, you know, we have so many other things that are pulling us in different ways, but I think it's really important to try to make time for, for your OMM skills, just because, you know, the first two years are critical and that's going to be where you get most of your training because of rotations, you know, it's very up in the air, whether you're going to get that experience or not. So, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, With rotations, though, I think you have to just kind of figure out how to fit it in if you can, whether it's just screening. Um, If your preceptor doesn't allow you to do something, you can at least screen. There's no harm in that. It's just like doing a heart exam. Um, And then if not, you know, still trying to find areas that you can improve on. For sure. So kind of going in with that, um, how often do you treat patients while on rotations if you're allowed to by your preceptor? Um, So I was often given consent by my preceptors. So that was never really an issue, um, except for I was on pediatrics and that didn't work out just with that preceptor. Um, The most that I did was mainly in family medicine. I would have like three to four patients a day. Um, which is pretty big. Um, I know a lot of my preceptors were like, she knows OMT, OMT, let's put her in with like MSK um, complaints, lots of shoulder back complaints. Um, Internal medicine, I would try, you know, you get a couple patients a day. I would try to do something for them daily, depending on what they needed. Um, Pediatrics, again, that one I had to do a lot of screening, but it's good to feel how kids should spring and how kid anatomy should feel. Um, it's different than adult anatomy. Um, and then for OB-GYN, there, <laughs> women who are pregnant need some love. And <laughs> to me, I feel like I was doing a lot of OMT for those patients as well. Um, different clinicals that I didn't use it in were more like surgery or psychiatry. For sure. That makes sense. Like those are a little bit more, either the patient, you know, is under anesthesia or in psych, you're a little more hands-off. So that makes sense. And that's awesome. You got to have that experience while on rotations. Um, Asking a little bit more about that, what is your most rewarding part of using OMM on patients? I know you kind of talked about your kyphotic patients and you saw immediate results, but just about in general in clinic. Um, I think there's always that instant gratification portion to OMT. You can really feel that release or you feel something move. And I think that's rewarding in itself. Um, or you can see an increase in range of motion. I think the biggest thing for me would be more uh, the patient connection you get. I think there's a lot of power in touch. And I think you can really make an impact on patients if you're taking the time, talking with them. Um, you kind of build a a stronger relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that allows them to let you in a little bit more and actually heal more. Awesome. I completely agree. Um, I have some really great conversations while treating patients It being, you know, while I'm on their cervical spine or working on their back and you just, you feel more of a connection with the patient. Like you can really see them for who they are, which I really love. So I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, it makes patients feel heard. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when you use OMM, what are your favorite treatment modalities to use? Hmm. So this is a hard question. Um, I think for me, I, you kind of have to feel and see what the patient responds to. That's kind of the first, first thing. Um, some people respond more to indirect techniques. Some people respond more to direct techniques. I think it's just kind of learning as you go. Um, but for me, I tend to have more success with indirect techniques. Um, I think it allows me to be a little bit more efficient because I don't have to inst- like instruct the patient what to do. And when I do that, I tend to have to re-instruct and re-instruct. Um, and they can just kind of passively lay there and 
receive the treatment. Um, but I do use direct techniques with, um, pretty good success. I use a lot more muscle energy, um, for like larger joints, like the nominants or upper extremity, um, or even lower extremity. And I do use cranial occasionally if my screen kind of leads me to that being the area of greatest restriction. So I have a list of kind of common things I do. I do a lot of BLT on the thoracic outlet. I do a lot of sinus effleurage. Um, I think that's a really quick one. Uh, I do still technique for the ribs. I do muscle energy for nominance and then um, muscle energy for my AC and SC joints. And then sometimes I'll do even some like FDM slash soft tissue um, Mm -hmm. depending on what I feel. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, I think it, like you said, it's important to feel the patient and kind of see what their body's telling you, what technique is, is best for them. But of course we all kind of have our preferences. Like we've had good success with certain techniques. So I think that's really good that you modify it to each patient Yeah, for sure. The other thing I think about like osteopathically, I don't think that manipulation is the only part of the, the, uh, philosophy of OMM mm-hmm. or osteopathy. I think there's different pillars, including people's health, um, like their diet, their exercise, sleep management, stress management. Um, so I think as a student, that's a place where we can really come in and sit down and educate because our preceptors often don't have the time to do that. Right. That That's a good point. This is kind of alluding to more of the functional medicine aspect. I think that ties very well into the osteopathic philosophy. Mm-hmm. And it's been great, like on rotations to try to talk with patients when the preceptor doesn't have time. Like, you know, I've done some psychiatric counseling and they wouldn't have gotten that otherwise from the preceptor. They could have gotten, you know, from a counselor or a psychiatrist, but it's nice to get it from a medical professional, like in your primary care. So I definitely agree with that. Um, so I have a couple questions because this is a lot of questions that we get as students is how do you explain OMM to your patients? Even if your preceptor says, yes, you can do OMM, but some patients are, you know, they just don't know what OMM is. So how do you explain it to your patients? Um, so for me, I do a style screen when I'm treat, like when I'm starting to treat someone, I screen them and I kind of talk to them while I'm doing that. So I usually tell them that I'm going to do a screen and I'm basically, I'm just going to press on your spine and see how well your body moves and your body should bounce really well when I press on it. Um, when I find something that's rock hard or gets stuck, that is usually where I tend to work because your body wants to be in a good, um, um, homeostasis. I don't use that word, but like but alignment. Yeah. Yeah. And so I say that I'm going to take whatever there's like some decrease in range of motion or hard spot, and I'm going to make it soft like all the others. And what that does is it allows you to feel better and it allows your body to heal itself. Great. No, I think that's a good summary. Keep it. You want to not use, you know, the medical terms and whatnot so patients can understand. And, you know, if they have questions, you answer it as they come. So for, um, people who do have medical training, like our MD colleagues or other professionals, even your preceptor, how do you explain OM to them if they don't really know what it is? Um, So I really haven't had a lot of preceptors who didn't know what OMM was. Um, I kind of get a range, um, a wide range of variability in how people, like how our allopathic um, partners uh, know about OMM and Mm -hmm. some people actually really 
like understand the idea and they actually want you to teach them how to. So I've had that extreme where I'm teaching how to do a nominate diagnosing or I go and I try to help them kind of feel what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the sense of having to explain what OMM is, I've actually never had to do that as okay. a student. Yeah. no, And more so for me, from my experience, it's been more on the aspect of, can you explain this technique like muscle energy? Mm-hmm. What is the physiology behind it more so? The Golgi tendon organ or counter strain and the muscle spindle. I had a pediatrician who, he didn't necessarily want me doing OMT on pediatric patients, but he was curious to learn more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he didn't really know a lot about it. So I just kind of explained that to him. And um, he wasn't really open to me doing the treatment, but he was open to learning about it. So that's kind of the experience I had with that. So it, it, it gets you practice to, to learn the physiology, I guess, and learn explaining it because sometimes it could get a little nitty gritty with all of that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's really kind of knowing your anatomy enough to um, explain how you're positioning or what you're using, especially with muscle energy. I think people can wrap their mind around that a little bit easier. Um, Or one of my favorites is when you're like doing soft tissue, Mm -hmm. explaining how when your muscle is really contracted, it's because your muscle is holding on to all this calcium, it's bound. And so when you relax the muscle, what happens is it allows for that calcium to be reabsorbed into the um, particular plasma, I think people, uh, kind of understand like on the physiological side, our MD counterparts really understand that. And they're like, Oh, that makes sense. Like, why don't we do that all the time? Yeah, exactly. Like giving a physiological basis for it makes it seem a little bit more legitimate in a way we can always feel it, but sometimes remembering the physiology behind what we're doing, um, might make it a little bit more acceptable or understandable. So awesome. Um, so you're going to be going into residency and I think you're going to, are you going to a residency with osteopathic accreditation at this point? Um, It's not osteopathically accredited, but the, there are preceptors there to help me along in my OMN skills. Awesome. Great. So my next question had to do with more, so how do you um, keep up to date with the, with developments in OMM or how do you intend to keep up with developments in residency? Um, so for me, I plan on going to conferences. I think I get more out of being hands-on during a conference, um, than I can read and read. And sometimes I just can't connect what I'm doing with my hands, with what I'm reading, if that makes sense. Um, so I can see myself going to a lot of the ACOFPs. Um, I can also see myself going to, um, AACOM's, uh, convention, Um, I think that for me too, it's just a matter of staying connected with your mentors that you build so that when you do get kind of stuck, you're like, I don't know what to do, or, um, do you have any suggestions on this? Then you can have, they'll probably send you some article or give you a reference for a book. And that's kind of how you start building your, your resources as you go on. Awesome. And just kind of a question along with mentorship, did you get your, did you kind of develop relationships with mentors at ACFP or was it locally at your school or how just for for new students or young students just to kind of develop that relationship? Um, I think there's opportunity to build mentorship at the ACOFP. Um, I managed to do more locally so that I could continue going and working with my physicians that I built um, with. Um, For example, I did the fellowship. I felt like I could really go to the people I was working with and always ask them questions. Mm -hmm. Um, During my third year, I had a preceptor who was phenomenal at OMM and really pushed me into the OMM fellowship. And uh, we still contact each other when I'm going to some um, different conferences and such. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And she's like, just let it be, you know, (laughs) um, things like that. 
Awesome. Great. Um, so for students who maybe don't go into a, a residency with osteopathic accreditation, or maybe they don't have a mentor that's really strong in OMM, how else do you recommend they complete or um, continue their studies and practice OMM after graduating medical school? Do you think they just need to look for a mentor? Or are there any online resources that you think would be useful? Um, so as you mentioned, there's the um, different videos on the a- o- ACOFP website. I think that for me, I'm still kind of learning that as I go to, um, I feel like you learn different names through, um, your first and second year. And you're like, I don't know who, you know, Sutherland is. And then <laughs> everybody mentions Southern. You're like, okay, maybe I should really like look that up. So I think it's just kind of finding those little nuances. Um, and I think it's more important to keep using your hands and become really efficient at what you know, and then keep adding on to that. Um, Cause I think a lot of people want to be really good at it, like right at the beginning yeah. and you can't, it's uh you have to keep practicing. It takes, you know, a lot For of sure. Yeah. Kind of like you said, just continually to practice on your family when you go home, especially if you're um, an almost one or almost two and go to conferences. I feel like that the hands-on experience is irreplaceable and you, you learn so much. So definitely at ACOFP and SAO, those have been two conferences where I've gotten really good hands-on experience using clinic. Um, So you kind of alluded to this, that you haven't had any really issues with preceptors and making any comments about us being DOs or using osteopathic manipulation, but have you, have you ever experienced any barriers otherwise just being a DO and having, you know, MD preceptors or anything like that? I think it's um, the biggest thing for me has really just been um, whether I can actually perform treatment or not. And my, my resolution to that was despite not being able to treat, I was always going to screen so I could at least learn the pathology with my hands. Um, and I even did that when I was doing like radiology, we did like different thyroid stuff. I'm like, let me feel that. Cause I've never felt that before. Like, you know, I've never felt a goiter. Um, so then you kind of feel the back too and see how that makes, how that feels. So your hands are like, Oh, that's something. Um, and then awesome. as you're moving into from like your third, fourth year where you're starting to think about residency programs, I really suggest making sure that if you're interested in OMM, that you find somebody who is either has DO faculty or has some type of osteopathic accreditation. Um, that's some questions you can ask during your interview process on their willingness to let you perform OMM, um, if they're able to bill, things like that, so that you can really build a good foundation before you go out. For sure. No, I totally agree with all that. And I mean, I, I guess this is an aside more so, but if if people know that they're not going into a residency or they, you know, if they're in their second or third year, I don't think they're going to be going to an osteopathic accredited, accredited residency, but they still want to learn more. They could always consider, you know, a year-long fellowship like we did. Thank and that's a, good, <laughs> that's a good way to get a year of hands-on training. Most people don't mm-hmm. want to add a year to their medical school training, but that's always an option as well. And again, I think it just goes back to actually doing it. If you want to do it, you just got to find time in your patient, yeah. your patient time and do it. Yeah. So. Like Nike said, just do it. <laughs> um, so going back to kind of the, the residency match and the match process, are there any pearls that you learned about going through this whole process recently and applying and interviewing any, any tips or highlights you can give to us? Yeah. So I have kind of a list here for you guys. Um, just cause I know I was really stressed during this time, um, applying last, last year, 
seems like a lifetime. Um, so first of all, I think you should always be yourself. You want to be honest about who you are and what your goals are, because you're trying to find a program that wants you for you and that you guys can mash well together with and that they can also meet your career goals. Um, so if they're not aligned, then it's probably not a good residency fit for you. And I think, um, I think that residency programs appreciate when you state what you want. Um, for third years right now, I think um, it's a good time in this April, May time to be proactive. I know that you guys are having some really big issues with the COVID-19 stuff, um, but this is a good time. Make sure you get that personal statement done that you've had on your list forever. Um, get it done, get your CV done, have somebody proofread it, have somebody who is medically inclined proofread it and have it somebody who's not proofread it so that you can catch mistakes that most people don't catch. Um, my other suggestion is most interviews for family medicine occur in November and December. And so if you have the availability, it's good to take a month off. I, I did that. And I found that I had more time um, to accept more offers for um, interviews. And I didn't feel as like pressured with my clinical requirements. Um, and sure. I think that November was more effective than December, just because December you have Christmas and New Year's. And so usually the programs are not doing interviews during that time. That's a good point. I didn't know that. <laughs> so if you're trying to like think out your long plan and you're like, where do I put it in? I would, I would say November over December, but if you don't have that option, December is great too. Um, then the other thing is like, be kind to the other candidates. And I know that sounds silly, but we're all very stressed. We're all coming from other places and it's nice to have somebody that you can kind of, um, feel like stress relieved with, um, during kind of a very stringent time. I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, I think that in the end, you may even end up in the same residency with right. them. So yeah, I don't think it needs to be as cutthroat as everyone makes it out to be, especially at family medicine. You know, we're all kind of a big family. Um, that's the vibe that I've always gotten in ACOFP. So really? hopefully we're all going to match. And I think we had the highest amount of DOs match into family medicine this year than ever before. So I think just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So just being supportive of everyone's goals and ideals and know that you're, you're unique in your own way and you're going to find a residency that works for you and you don't have to, you know, be so stressed out and be harsh towards other candidates because you all have your own unique package that you're bringing into the residency. Absolutely. For and sure. then when it comes to dinners, if you're super nervous and you do not eat or whatever, or you're just like, can't focus, I don't know. It is okay to box your food and it's okay to take a dessert home. Um, you'll be at your hotel late at night and you'll be stressing about the next day. And you'll be like, thank God I took that dessert with me. So <laughs> oh, that's, that's the best advice we've gotten all day. I love that. <laughs> Life is short. Eat dessert first. <laughs> um, so thank you so much, Cassie. I just want to ask you one last question. Um, do you have any final tips for students pursuing family medicine? And you kind of, you've hit a lot of, a lot of awesome tips throughout, throughout this time I've been talking with you, but is there anything else that you just want to add just before we end this podcast? Um, I guess be kind to yourself and others. Um, and I think we're all learning and just remember that it takes time to be where you want to be. And always take time for yourself. I know that 
we say that a lot of self-care and all this, um, but definitely like eat well, exercise and do things that make you happy. Cause you can do anything when you feel like your cup's full. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one thing that one of my mentors during third year told me that I use pretty much every day is, um, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. You aren't ahead. You aren't behind. You're right where you need to be. And I think just remembering that you're not comparing yourself and you're just being that moment. I think that to me is, um, what kind of can set you up for success. Awesome. Thank you, Cassie. Yeah. It's, it's about the journey, not the destination and you know, we're all each on our own path, you know, so thank you so much. That was great advice. Um, so thank you so much. It's been great talk with you. Um, thank you for taking the time out of, you know, your busy schedule, trying to move and get ready for residency to come and talk with us and our listeners and congratulations on your recent match for getting your number one choice. That's so awesome and well-deserved. Um, and thank you to our listeners. Be sure to check out for future episodes of the ACFP Student Podcast. Thanks again, Cassie. Thank you. The ACFP Student Podcast is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To learn more about ACFP, please visit www.acofp.org. Looking for more resources on OMT? Visit ACOFP's OM Teaching at www.acofpomteaching.com and ask your institution if they subscribe so you can have access to over 150 OMT videos and support materials.